Adams, Adamly, Adamowski, Bueller, Burns, Burns, Burns. It's time for school, Rock School, with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. And I would have paid 10 bucks to have their set list or the yep. strings that were on their guitar and all that. Yep, your yep. broken guitar strings are with money. Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show here on the Rock School Radio Network. My name is Joe Burns, and once again, Tammy is taking the week off because we are in the midst of Joe's Book Club. Once again, I think Oprah stole the title from me. We're going to be talking this week with author Randy Chertko. He, along with another guy by the name of Jason Feehan, wrote a book called Making Money with Music. It is a monumental undertaking. It's written as a handbook, and if you or someone you know is a musician, this, not even if you just want to make a whole lot of money at it, which you probably should, it's covering every aspect of music, the music business. It really is everything you need in one little book, and you should grab a hold of it if you can. If you don't want to buy the book, which you should, uh, Randy Chertko tells me that if you go to their website, interestingly enough, makingmoneywithmusic.com, you can find the newsletter there. And you do not have to have bought the book to get the newsletter. I'm signed up for it. And if you know somebody who's a musician, they should be signed up for it. Now, Again, this is a radio show, so I'm up against a one-hour time clock, so you're not hearing everything we spoke about. If you'd like to hear the raw interview audio, go to the Rock School website. That's southeastern.edu slash rockschool. And also, during the show, Randy himself, Randy Chertko, is a musician, and he sent me some of his music. So, you're going to hear original music from Randy during the show. So... Enough intro. Let's get to it. Making Money with Music by Randy Chertko and Jason Feehan. But we're talking to Randy for an hour today on Rock School. On the phone with us, an author, Randy Chertko, who wrote an unbelievably monumental piece of work titled Making Money with Music. Randy, I read it and thank you for coming on and spending an hour with us talking about this new book. Happy to. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, sure. Now, you wrote this with Jason, is it Feehan? Yeah, that's right. Feehan. Right. Now, if, if you, the uh, audience, uh, are looking for a book to help you out, and if you at all a listener to the Rock School Radio Show, you know that one of the things I scream about is how difficult it is to make it as a musician in this world. So, Randy, let me just start with an overriding question i mean the cell of digital world is tough because i mean everyone is doing it regardless of levels of talent or songwriting abilities and such can can this still be done can you become a a musician who makes a living at making music can it literally be done anymore <laughs> that's a great question and it's definitely something that we get very often the answer is yes but of course 
it comes with all of the required work and effort that you would have to put in to building any kind of business at all, not just specific to music. Uh, and music has some particularly interesting aspects in that you really do have a choice between, I like to say, trucks and campers to the left and cars to the right, because mm -hmm. uh, you could actually have an entire music business that you make a living at where you have zero fans at all, no fans. Mm -hmm. And the way you do that, of course, is, is business to business. You're doing musical licensing and royalties and everything along those lines. Uh, the other part of it is if you build a fan base, you've got to be willing to really cultivate that fan base, give them products that they want to enjoy, and stay in communication with them on a regular basis, which is a lot of work. Isn't this something that the record companies used to do after they signed a group? It is, although I really think they stopped doing it very much after the the 90s, honestly. I mean, I think in the early by the early 2000s, they were only focusing on a handful of really major, large acts. And for the most part from there, from actually the types of people that we interviewed, they waited until people generated their own income stream and fan base and said, hey, what if we took two-thirds of that income and then got you bigger distribution and, and more out of it? Which, I mean, a lot of people say no at that point because they're like, well, I'm, you're not giving me anything I'm not getting on my own. Right. So it's an interesting question.
like that about the book. Um, number one, I, I said at the beginning, it's a monumental piece. And the reason I said that is because it's written like a handbook and I got from it this sort of unsaid but sort of implied idea that, look, you don't, this can be done by you now with the tools that are digitally available. You don't always need a, uh, a record company to come run and save you. I mean, is, is, am I reading that correctly? No, you are reading it correctly, and probably the more interesting part of it, and I think you might have noted it as you look at the beginning of the book, is that we do say that it's really important not to think that doing it yourself means doing it alone. That's one of the biggest misconceptions. It's actually one of the more poisonous ideas that we have out there as a musician, that just because we know how to play music, just because we perform well or can compose music, that we also know the business side of it and that we can do it all around a kitchen table at home. Really, the very first thing you should do if you're serious about answering the question that you started this whole podcast with, which is, can you make it on your own? Can you make a living on your own? Is yes, but just like any small business or even medium-sized business, you need a team behind you to try and make it successful. So one of the first things you should do is bring on somebody to handle the management part um, and it, it can be one of the artists that are in a band if you're doing it. Just keep in mind that some of their energy and time is going to be focusing on growing their business, finding new income streams, and building up that aspect of their business. You mentioned, as I have seen numerous times uh, on the internet, crowdfunding and crowdsourcing, and you gave the now almost, uh, cliche is not the right word, but Amanda Palmer made a million dollars. And you know yes. what she did, but does anyone else is is crowdsourcing and you know the, the all the different give me ten bucks and I'll give you a new song each week? Do those things still seem viable to you? Well, we have a part in the book where we talk about all the sources that you can get funding, and it's not just about crowdsourcing. But I think the more important question is, what do you need money for? And of course, anybody can come up with a long list of answers to that. But one of the very first things that we talk about in the book are how to start a music business for zero dollars. Mm -hmm. We talk about all of the free things you can get, including free distribution. That means that you get streamed on all the streaming platforms, the major name streaming platforms. You get sold on all the places where you can sell your music for no money. Um, what you'd be giving up in that case, of course, you're giving up something, is a slightly higher percentage of the money uh, that goes into, uh, that comes out of the profits. But it comes to you for zero. There's no risk at that point. And once you get enough money to actually start funding it, you can turn around and do better options that will give you more of that percentage later. Uh, in fact, there's some some sites out there that will let you switch models if you just pay them a subscription after switching it over. So the point is, and I'm asking this question in particular, is just like any business, you actually should lay out, well, what is it that I need money for really? Do I need to spend it on um, that really expensive social media campaign or can I do that by hand? Once you actually know the money you need, you might find that the funding sources that we, we list in there might be enough uh, to be able to get you started. And then you let the world tell you what's working for you and what to invest in based on what's really successful. 
And sometimes you can grow it based on the engine of basically income that comes in out of the normal activities that you do and grow it through it. one of the one of the suggestions you gave that hit me right between the eyes because I think it's brilliant is the idea of taking photos and capturing video whenever you do anything it it, it seems obvious but it's one of those things that until you're told about it uh, I was in a little band for a short while and we spent four hours in a studio we paid for studio time and we paid two people to come in with cameras and video cameras. And it was shocking to me that we got two fully made videos out of it and were able to play on social media forever. I just thought that was a great suggestion. Is that, is that something you think we should do? Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that we sometimes forget as musicians is that the things that we do day to day the, you know, you're, you're basically about to sit down at your desk in order to start doing some work at your studio is not something that your fan ever sees. So I'm, I'm actually staring at my rack of instruments, which includes guitars and clarinets and saxophones and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. And even that rack of stuff is kind of interesting. I, and I have a guitar sitting directly to my left in a guitar stand. So these things are actually things that speak to you as a musician. They let them behind the scenes. And if all you have to do is whip out your phone while somebody's about to record a part, you've actually captured something that's meaningful. Um, I'll I'll share just something really briefly. I was in 
one of the meetings um, that was sponsored by the producers wing of the Grammy Association. They have these meetings from time to time. And they told stories about really, really famous albums that were made. And there's just a handful of pictures, but they used it to actually tell a story. Well, where do you tell the stories nowadays? It's not just a, something that you're just showing on a screen to a group of people. You can do that on the internet and you can do it live as you go. So this is um, goes back to what we were talking about earlier. One more piece to it, which is what we were saying on, well, how is it that I build a music business? You can't make an album and disappear for 12 months and show up again and expect anybody to know who you are anymore. When today, most people are checking their news when they're just at a stoplight. Uh, you actually have to provide a steady stream of relevant stuff that people want to interact with. And I can't think of anything more authentic than showing them pictures of you producing the work that they're going to hear maybe in a month or two or maybe in six months. Right. You suggested earlier on in the uh, in the interview and also in your book that a second, at least a secondary person should be hired. And when I got to the section I'm talking about, I thought to myself, there's where you put your money. The fact that you create, I mean, we're, we, we, through social media, have become these visual animals. Text just doesn't do it anymore. That, right. that is where you need to put your money. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Although, I will note that, I mean, I always suggest, I'm going to suggest this throughout, as anytime I'm asked these types of questions, the very first version of everything that you do as a musician should be to try and find free options <laughs> mm -hmm. and just just give an experiment uh, one of my favorite little books is called little bets and little bets talks about the fact of the importance of trying little tiny experiments against the world to see what works and what doesn't work and the smallest bet you can make of course is free options well if you've got more than one person in your band, all you have to do is have one of them grab their phone and take remember to take the pictures at first. And then later, if you want to scale it up because you want higher quality, you can hire somebody if that's really catching on, if people like seeing those types of pictures.
I'll tell you the one thing in the book, and it, it was sort of said and moved along, but it was one thing that jumped out at me, was that in terms of social media and promotion, all days are not created equal. I don't know why I expected, and it's just my thought process, that the weekends would be best for social media because people have it, but you suggested that Wednesday was the day to post because that's when most people sort of push it along. Yeah, it's the hump day, and about 2 o'clock, people take a coffee break, and they're like, ugh, I've had it this week. I'm just going to check my social media. It's a time where people are likely to reshare things. Um, those types of analysis, uh, that's not a fixed time, although we gave that in the book. What you'll find is that people's patterns change. But what you want to do is feed your social media use and promotion um, into the way that people live their lives and mm -hmm. the, the way that people are more uh, apt to be in front of their uh, either their computer or their phones and share it along. And so if you release the right content at the right times, you're more likely to be successful and it's less effort on your part because you don't have to share as often when you do that. Hmm. Time for the first break here on Rock School. We'll be back in just a minute to talk more with Randy Chertko, author of the book, Making Money with Music, here on Rock School. I read the whole book, and once again, it's called Making Money with Music, and it, it, it's, it really is written like a handbook, which made it so nice and easy to read, but um, not trying to you know make you sort of roll your eyes, but I really thought at chapter nine is where it began to sing. The nuts and bolts are out of the way, now let's make money. And so I'm gonna ask you some questions that deal with me specifically. So let oh, me give sure. you a let me give you a sure. situation. My wife, I have two albums myself, and you know I got a job. So if people take it, that's great. But my wife and I write a Christmas CD each year, and oh, last, we spent all this money to turn it into CDs and 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 such, and nobody wanted the CDs. We had it on a website. We didn't know what to do. So. With your knowledge, walk me through it. If I make another Christmas album this year, which I have every intention of doing, how in the world do I distribute this so people want to or will listen to it? That's a very good question. Thank you. So let's break it apart. Distribution doesn't make people want to hear it. It just makes it available for people to hear it. So mm -hmm. the other half of it, is actually 
cultivating people who are really enjoying what you're putting out. We as musicians are entertainers, actually, in the end. We're entertainment. We're something that's very important to everybody in the world. It's, it's, it's something that uh, they truly enjoy. Um, but you actually need to develop and cultivate your own following of people who are excited each time you put out work. Now, we talk about this in the very last chapter, which is called Your Release Strategy. And part of the concept behind your release strategy as you're building your audience is continuing to release things that are of interest to them, which includes the pictures you were talking about earlier, your mm -hmm. production. And then as you release your music, you don't have to release it all as one big album. You could release it in a song at a time. You can do remixes. The point is you need to be active weekly, if you can, every week. And that doesn't mean you have to release a song a week. You can release a picture. You can release a new piece of merch. You can release a video. Um, but you need to stay in front of them because it's about staying fresh. If you've been generating this stream of stuff that your fans are enjoying, that's one way to do it. And so all of this probably leads to the other part of the question, which is, well, what if I don't have a fan base in the first place? Mm -hmm. how, do I, how do I get one? And that's always the toughest place to start, right? It's from a standing start. No one's heard of me yet. And there are actually quite a few techniques that you can do. In fact, it was the, the subject of uh, the most recent articles we wrote for Electronic Musician, which was, how do I get publicity when no one's heard of me? How do I get my first fans when no one's heard of me? Yeah. And, and there's a short answer to that. And there, the long answer, I don't think we have time for on the cast. But for the short version, you really have to start as narrow and targeted as possible. It is not, a, even though Christmas music is really something that quite a few people enjoy, millions and millions and millions, you actually have to win over a very small percentage in order to try and pick up your music and use it as a seed to start your fan base. And there's lots of ways to do it. We have a, an entire chapter called Get Heard, which has, I think, 45 categories of places where you can get your music heard. Not just distributed, but like get it in front of people and you know have people discover it and find it. But a lot of ways, it's actually about being as specific as possible about a group of people that you can reach and convince to try and look at your music. And I'll give you one example before we move on. Mm -hmm. um, we also have produced uh, a Christmas album, actually a holiday album, or actually, as I like to call it, an unholiday album, because <laughs> it's called Santa Doesn't Like You. And Santa Doesn't Like You has songs like Smoke in the Mistletoe and Coed Naked Drunk Christmas Shopping and things like that. I want to listen Christmas to that. Tree. Oh, exactly. So like by me saying that, you're intrigued. Well. We actually get a lot of listens every year by people we've never heard of. And the question is, how? How do we get those listens? Well, we're not doing any marketing. We have titles that come up in searches when you search for Santa, where you see Santa Doesn't Like You, which is a song. It's like, okay, what the heck is this? We also have songs like that that were good. That particular one, although we're not a novelty band, that one um, uh, Dr. Demento picked up and played. Wow. And so suddenly we reached a whole lot of people and then they started to get interested in the rest of the album. And once they check out your album, of course, if you're releasing other things on uh, your streaming platforms, then they discover the rest of you and they start to become followers. And if you marry that to what I just talked about before, which is that you're releasing stuff on a regular basis uh, and buy stuff, I don't mean kill yourself. I mean a picture, a, a something every week 
a piece of merch, uh, anything that you remix, anything that you want, then you're starting to build your fan base and they'll start introducing other people to check it out. Not that it means anything to the show, but on page 266, you start talking about advanced fan-based income. And, you know, I've been to a few of these, but I don't know why it never occurred to me to do it. You talk about a pre-show, post-show. You talk about a house concert. Yes. These are things that I've been to a house concert. I went to a friend of mine's house and she served drinks and hors d'oeuvres, and this guy with a guitar sat there and sang to us, yep. and then I purchased his stuff. So talk about a house concert, and then I'll sort of push you into pre-show, post-show stuff. Sure, sure. So really briefly, house concerts are just what it sounds like. You're playing in someone's house, and there's a number of advantages to it. First of all, it's more intimate. Um, people tend to sell very, very well in terms of merch, and other types of items just to skip it over to the business side of it. It's the reason why you'd want to do it. It's really popular with 35 and over groups as well. So you're more likely, they're less likely to want to go to a club, but more likely you want to go to a friend's house to see a show. And the beautiful thing about that age group is that they have a lot more disposable income and they're more able to do it. So there's a lot of advantages to it. There's some other hidden ones that we might have mentioned in the book, but just to clarify it, 
uh, we know of bands that have toured on the country and they actually did house concerts along the way at inner, you know, the, the cities that were in between two different tour dates. So the beautiful thing is some of those places will let you uh, just stay in the house. They're actually thrilled to have the band there, which means that you can not only get paid, you can save in, in lodging. <laughs> so it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of a clever thing. That The thing that's the downside, of course, is that you don't have a hotel room in your own space. And it's uh, further probably one of the bigger issues is that you can really wear yourself out if you don't take breaks on a, a really intense tour. Um, but it, it creates a lot of opportunities. In the book, I think we refer to another book that's very good for that kind of thing. And I'd recommend reading that section and just searching on house concerts if you're interested in doing it. Um, but it, it can be a, a great way to make money. And it's actually part of, as you said, before we move on to the next topic of post-show and pre-show types of income streams that you can activate, um, it's in, it's just one example of a lot of examples of income streams you can make by hanging out with your fans. You can actually make money. And hmm. what I mean by that is <laughs> some of your fans just want to hang out with you. So if you like playing video games, some of your fans will literally pay to play video games with you. And and then you could stream it on Twitch. They actually like that kind of thing. And you can make that as part of your patronage where it's like, well, if you donate $10 a month to me, if you're my patron for 20 bucks a month, I will grab uh, the first five people that answer every time uh, I do one of these nights and I'll get you on the schedule and you get to play video games with me. And suddenly you're making 20 bucks a month just because they get to hang out with you from time to time. And it's a good incentive because they like it. Now, that depends on your fan base. Not every musician likes video games, and not all your fans would like it. But if you have the right kind of fan base, that can work. Another type of fan base might like partying. So all you have to do is rent a bus, go on a pub crawl. You don't even have to play music. And some fans actually want to pay money to party with the band in their town so it's just there's the kind of options that are out there are pretty amazing and if you have the fan base style remember we talked about that at the beginning Uh you need to create experiences that fans want to pay for and make those available to them and that's where you can open up a new income stream and i'll tell you that when i read that section i i understood the house concert that to me seemed viable but at what point in time does it does it move into looking like a money grab and the millennial mindset says, okay, you know, stop. I'm not giving you $4 to watch you breathe, that kind of thing. Or does it? Well, see, that depends on the relationship. Well, A, it depends on your fans and what kind of fans you have. And number two, it depends on the relationship you have with those fans. Um, it depends on what kind of artist you are. If you're writing very soulful things that you're performing that's very meaningful to you, and each performance tears you up inside and tears up your audience, and that's what they've come out for. If you say, and come party with me, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. But a house concert's perfect. A house yeah. concert's utterly perfect for that kind of artist.
if uh, if you're talking about a 360 deal, which you do mention in your book, Making Money with Music, if, if that's what you're talking about, explain to everyone what a 360 deal is. Well, it only usually makes sense if you understand what the pre-360 deals were, which was to only get the masters, and they would own the copyright to the masters, which was the sound recording copyright. Uh, there's another copyright that comes out of it that has a whole separate of income streams coming off of it called the composition copyright or the PA, mm-hmm. performing arts copyright. Um, we cover this in the book and talk about how each of those, if you think of them as a code hook, you can hang an awful lot of income streams off of both of those. But the biggest ones tended to be hanging on only the masters. Well, because they're trying to get enough income in order to justify signing artists, they not only started to grab the income streams that came off of the composition, they also started to take some from touring, from your merchandise, from really advertising, all kinds of income streams that come off of your likeness and the fact that you're out there as a brand in order to try and pull all the income they can from the artists. So Mm -hmm. when you're signing one of those contracts, you're really getting, you're really giving away quite a bit that you would be developing. Now, they're doing this in return for developing your brand so that it has value in the first place. And so we're not going to say that it's always a bad deal. What we'll say is you really want to choose your business partner very carefully, and you want to make sure that it's a fair deal for you, um, considering how many options there are building it yourself, which is the subject of the rest of the book, except for the tiny section you just talked about. Right. Uh, we really think that there's a lot of good opportunities for people to do that on their own. Time for our second break here on Rock School. If you're enjoying what you're hearing here with Randy Chertko, author of Making Money with Music, make sure you sign up for his newsletter, makingmoneywithmusic.com slash newsletter. Back in a minute here on Rock School. said in the book, and I'm just going to go ahead and quote you, public relations, you just said PR, but public relations is a crock pot, not a microwave. (laughs) No such thing as an overnight sensation, man. Yes. It's true, isn't it? Okay, look, last question. Yes. In terms of all of this, you knock yourself out, you do all the things isn't there at all points in time an element of luck stuck right in the middle of it? Well, of course. But oh, yeah. what's, what's the definition of luck? It's opportunity meets preparation. Yeah. 
The more I work, the luckier I get. Right. Yeah. And so it, it's it's okay. I had an opportunity, but so what? I mean, did you take advantage of it? The, the opportunity comes knock, knocking all the time. I hate cliches. I actually work as hard as I can to keep them out of the book. Jason keeps adding them. But <laughs> I'm making fun of him because he couldn't be here on this podcast, so he has to deal with it. But, um, you know, if, if you hear that knock, um, you know, did you open the door? And you probably have had a lot of things like that. So what I mean by that is this. Okay, you got played on NPR or you got some radio show to pick you up. How many artists are there that gave up after they got some successes? Well, part of what's missing is the strategy that we were talking about just a few minutes ago of laddering or snowballing. Sometimes we call it snowballing and laddering. Mm -hmm. um, and so what Jason and I have always done for everything that we do that's publicly related is that when we get a success, we always tout that success elsewhere. And it's not about beating our chest and saying we're so awesome. It's, hey, other people like what we're doing. Maybe you'll be interested too. It's social proof and it's psychology, which we even talk about in different points in the book is, and in fact, you even brought it up when you were talking about the social media campaign. I may as well do it in a way that people actually work. Well, how do, when do people pay attention to something? When they're hearing about it in other places. And, and this is a technique that was, I think, in the zone of the PR is a crockpot, not a microwave section, is that people, um, people are more likely to pay attention to something when there's other social proof out there, and it's called borrowed credibility. Because mm -hmm. you've never heard of me, but you've heard of NPR. And NPR has played our music, by the way. <laughs> and as soon as I say NPR has played our music, you're like, oh, well, maybe you're worth checking out. Whereas if I just say my band name and no one's heard of me, no one will pay any attention. So the point is, like, each success that you get, even small ones, are things that can start keep building you up. And so this luck thing, of course, it's a factor. Of course, of course, of course. But the thing that we have that we didn't have as much of in the past that's really in our favor as it comes to luck is that once that kind of luck triggers, you can get a lot out of it. And I just want to say one brief thing about that to give an example. There are some video channels that go viral because somebody pays attention to it and the channels then die off, but you have that one video. Others get tons of subscribers and tons of followers. What's the difference between ones that do that and ones that don't is that if you have other content and other stuff that people wanna pay attention to on it that match what they expect, that's when you're sustainable. When you have just one thing and you don't have anything to hang it on and you haven't been building that, that's when it, it won't stick. So that's that's what you're trying to build towards. Hmm. Hopefully that helps answer that question. <laughs> A long distance, directory assistance, every coat two on two. The name of the book, 
once again is making money with music and uh, I'm not just doing this because I have this podcast and it's my job to sell a book. I I honestly enjoyed this thing front to back. It's by Randy Chertko and Jason Feehan. And it's my opinion, if you have a musician in your life, if you are a musician, it would be a good couple of bucks for you to look at. However, it goes on because I believe you've started a newsletter. Can you pass that out to us? Yes, absolutely. We started the Making Money With Music newsletter because in spite of the many newsletters that I am part of, including keeping track of the news and keeping track of ideas on how to promote, I haven't found a newsletter that's just focused, laser focused on just making money. As I said, we have 300 plus ways to make money with music. And as big as that book is, which is 126,000 words, <laughs> we, ran, we ran out of words, literally. I have like two more books worth of stuff and no place to put it. <laughs> so we had to start our newsletter. It's makingmoneywithmusic.com. It's just like the book title. And you should be able to search it to find it. If you go to slash newsletter, it will, you can find it, but you'll find it right on the front page. It will hit you and say, subscribe to the newsletter today and you can, you can join. And it's free. And we're going to be doing it every two weeks. We're going to constantly be putting stuff out. And as a result of signing up, you'll actually get what we call uh, our Making Money with Music companion PDF, which starts out by giving you the 21 categories of all those 300 plus ways. We've categorized them into 21 categories of places, ways to make money. Those categories um, are really a good place to start so that you have the overall picture. And we had to make that companion just so that as we're giving you these pieces of advice, you can fit it into a broader framework. You don't have to have read the book to, to join the newsletter, and it's it's entirely separate. Hmm. Randy, thank you for speaking with us. Thank-, thank you for having me. This was an utter pleasure. Your questions were just so on target. And I really hope that everybody listening can start applying it and really starting their engine and really ramping that up to try and make more money with music. So thanks. And and I hope they use the book. That'd be wonderful. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you.